0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to episode 353 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. For today's story, we head to Yorkshire. And for the first time in the seven years of this podcast, the world of motorsport. A world of excitement, bravery, egos, and in today's story, murder. First of all, let's quickly set the context for the story with our guest the month and year game. At number one in the UK charts, I'm afraid, yep, we've hit a new low, and that's saying something for this podcast. It was the chicken song from Spitting Image. Now, if this was before your time, I suggest you really don't bother checking it out. Whitney Houston dedicated her number one in the US to the Mighty Leeds United, the greatest love of all. And in Australia, the third top-selling single this year was Sam Fox with the excruciating Touch Me, I Want Your Body. In the news this month, Tom Cruise starred in the first Top Gun movie. I think the second was even better, don't you? In one of the most ridiculous storylines in history, Bobby Ewing, Patrick Duffy that was, came back from the dead on TV show Dallas. The first All-Merseyside FA Cup final ended in a 3-1 win for Liverpool over Everton, who became only the third team this century to win the double. And in UK TV, the sitcom Bread started, as did the US show Moonlighting, which starred Sybil Shepherd and Bruce Willis. This month saw Margaret Thatcher become the first British Prime Minister to visit Israel. So did you get the month and year? It was May... 1986. Tricky one, I think, this time. But they're always tricky, aren't they? Today's story is centred on Bradshaw in West Yorkshire, which is about 30 miles west of Bradford and about 200 miles north of central London. Tony MacDonald was editor of the Speedway Mail when we joined this story in 1986. This was the must-read weekly paper for all fans of Speedway. When he answered the phone, he immediately recognised a voice on the other end. It was top speedway rider, 25-year-old Kenny Carter, or King Kenny as he was known. Not one to mince his words, he said, Why have you got that wanker Peter Collins on the front cover? You should have had me. Peter Collins was, along with Kenny, a star of British speedway at the time. But to say that the two men didn't get on was an understatement. In fact, the two men had just had a serious punch-up at the Bellevue Speedway track in Manchester just a few weeks earlier. Tony MacDonald knew that although Kenny tried to make it sound like he was joking, he meant every single word. Kenny soon began talking about other ventures and spoke with real enthusiasm about his new sports promotion company and how they just signed up their first really big name, Olympic gold medalist in the javelin, Tessa Sanderson and Kenny promised there were others lined up to join their stable. Kenny finished the call with words that would stay with Tony forever. Anyway, he said, I have a really big story for you next week. Tony thought nothing of it, assuming it might be another name signed up for his sports promotion company. He could never have known that it was the last time he would ever talk to Kenny Carter. To really get the insight we need to go forward with the story, We need to head back to when Kenny Carter was just nine years old and living in Halifax in Yorkshire with his mum Christine, his dad Mal and his little brothers Malcolm and Alan. It was October the 24th 1970 when Kenny's 26-year-old mum left the house with his brother on a short car journey when her car suffered a puncture. Christine lost control and hit another car, a parked car and a man decorating the outside of his house. This man was seriously injured and rushed to hospital, as was Christine who suffered multiple injuries. But tragically, four-year-old Malcolm did not survive this crash and he died of severe chest injuries in Halifax the next day. Christine suffered terrible injuries. The accident had left her paralysed from the neck down and she was told that she would never walk again. After a year of being treated in hospital, Christine finally returned home, but as she did, her husband Mal moved out. There was nursing help for her, but a large share of looking after their mum fell on the brothers Alan and Kenny, with one neighbour saying, Kenny and Alan did everything for her, and if they couldn't do it, they asked the neighbours. Everyone rallied round to help the family. Kenny wouldn't let anything happen to her. He cared really deeply for his mother. For Kenny, it must have been a terrible time. The loss of his young brother, his mum seriously injured, and the divorce of his parents at a time when divorce wasn't as common as it is today. But whereas his brother Alan spoke freely about his feelings, Kenny was more like his dad, Mal, and he kept his thoughts and emotions to himself. Kenny's dad was into motorbikes owning a motorbike dealership. And from this time in his life, Kenny became obsessed with motorbikes too and it became his world. And he was good. He was really good at motocross. Much better than many adults. But his dad wanted to get him into Speedway saying, At first he was reluctant to give up scrambling, but there wasn't much money in that. I wanted him to be a hero in his hometown. I decided he was better off being a hero in Speedway. Well, he would get paid for it and that was the start of it all. And Mal was a real no-nonsense sort of guy. He was that classic pushy parent, doing all he could to ensure that his two sons were able to build successful careers in motorsport. Alan in road racing and Kenny in speedway. Meanwhile, life at home was difficult for Kenny. As well as facing all the usual self-doubt and other challenges we all face as teenagers, his mum was getting worse. No longer in a wheelchair, she was confined to her bed taking painkillers to ease the pain and trying to spend quality time with her children. The memories of Malcolm were, of course, very difficult for her and the possession that she would never let go of, not for a moment, was a pair of his red shoes that he'd worn just before the crash. She did still have the house which was signed over to her by Mal and she eventually married one of her nurses, David Wood, in June 1976. Both Kenny and Alan got on well with him, which was a big help. Meanwhile, Kenny was falling in love. He'd been at school with farmer's daughter, Pamela Lund, but it never became an item with Pam later saying, he was always getting into trouble in school, but I did like him as he talked to me at break time. But at 16, when Kenny was working as a mechanic at his dad's garage, they did start dating. And Kenny's speedway was progressing as he signed professional forms with Ellesmere Port in Merseyside that year at just 16, and performed at a very high level. But tragedy never seemed to be too far from Kenny, and when he was 17 he was involved in a racing collision with another young speedway rider, 20-year-old Stuart Shirley. Talking of the incident in the press, it said, Stuart Shirley and another rider seemed to collide, and he hit the fence before swerving onto the centre green and then falling. As was his way Kenny didn't talk about what had happened with Stuart which was after all an accident in a sport that Kenny knew full well was dangerous and he didn't need to hear about the unbearable pain suffered by Stuart's family and friends. After all he'd experienced a terrible pain of such loss. But Kenny's career was going from strength to strength and it was clear from those in the know that Kenny was superstar material. Not just the way he rode his bike, but his personality, the cockiness. He was box office, he said what he thought. One legendary rider said of him, Kenny is the best rider of his age in England, and he was becoming as well known for his determination and his strong personality as his ability on the track. But then tragedy hit again. It was Tuesday the 18th of September 1979, when 18-year-old Kenny had popped out to look at a car with his pal Jimmy. The car wasn't for him, but on his return home, he headed up to see how his mum was. On entering her bedroom, he immediately knew that something was very wrong, as his lifeless mum lay slumped on the bed. Jimmy raced up to help and there was no pulse. At just shy of 36 years old, Kenny's mum had decided she could no longer live this life and had taken an overdose of painkillers tablets that Kenny himself had collected for her from the local chemist. The ambulance came but it was too late and Christine Margaret Wood was already dead from barbiturate poisoning. Kenny was of course utterly destroyed by what had happened. His friend Jimmy drove to find his 15-year-old brother Alan who was at a school disco to tell him the dreadful news. As we've heard already on this podcast, Kenny rarely showed any emotion but his girlfriend Pam told how on the night of his mum's death, Kenny went to bed and he couldn't stop crying all night. His friend would later say how the death of his mum would haunt Kenny for the rest of his life and he never became close to getting over it. Kenny had always shown 100% determination on the racetrack, but just four days after his mum had taken her own life, he was back on his bike representing Halifax and scoring maximum points at the meeting. The loss of his mum made him even more motivated, and he told anyone who would listen, I'm going to be world champion for my mum. In November 1981, Kenny married Pamela at St John's Bradshaw Parish Church in Halifax. Both were 20 on their wedding day, when Pam joked that there were no bikes present that day for once, it was just a horse-drawn carriage used for their transport. It was an exciting start to married life as Kenny had sold his mum's house after her death and the young couple began married life in a caravan on the site of the house that they were renovating. It was on the hills above Bradshaw, really close to where Pam's family lived and the house, an old pub, had been derelict for over 40 years. Pam gave up her office job in Halifax to take charge of the renovation, managing every single part of the operation as Kenny was often away riding in competitions. Indeed, after their wedding, there was only time for a very short honeymoon in Wales before Kenny was off to Australia, riding for a young England team. But Pam enjoyed her time whilst Kenny was in Australia. She was supervising every aspect of the build and playing a lot of squash with a friend. Pam was very athletic herself, having been a competitive runner in her teens. She also took a part-time job delivering soft drinks to local farms in a van, which she did on Wednesday, Fridays and Saturday mornings, and she loved it. In Australia, Kenny wasn't making any friends among his fellow riders in the England team. He liked to do things his own way, and he certainly wasn't a team player. His colleagues admired his dedication and his ability, but didn't warm to him, as can be summed up by the following quote from a teammate on that trip. He said, I would mind him 100% as a rider, but as a person, I had no time for him at all. Something that we hear a lot from Kenny's peers in the speedway world. To many of us listening, speedway is such a minority sport nowadays that it isn't really on our radar. To give you an idea of Kenny's profile back in the early 80s, he won more than one Yorkshire Sports Personality of the Year award beating legends in the more high-profile sports, like that most flamboyant of batsmen, Geoffrey Boycott. By 1984, Kenny was British champion and was seen as someone who would win a world championship soon. In 1985, he was British champion again and his name was known beyond speedway, with so many adoring young fans having his posters on their walls, King Kenny. He was even invited to appear on A Question of Sport, back in the day when it was still a decent program watched by sports fans. Meanwhile, Kenny and Pam celebrated the birth of two children, and they finally moved into their fully renovated farmhouse set in two acres of land. It gave the couple the privacy they wanted, whilst being still very close to Pam's family. And it was about this time that Kenny announced he wanted to be a millionaire by the time he was 30, and purchased his first Rolls-Royce for £10,000. A significant sum today, but really big money back then. And Kenny was made English Speedway captain, an honour he described as being the best thing that had ever happened to him. But amongst the good times, there were bad times on the track, broken legs and other injuries, and Kenny kept having punch-ups with fellow riders. He was good, but he certainly wasn't the most popular rider on the circuit. And by 1986, the world of Speedway was changing too. Crowds were falling, sponsors were leaving and the TV coverage was drying up with the flagship ITV Saturday afternoon sports show, World of Sport, remember that? Hosted by the late Dickie Davis. That finished in 1986. Kenny knew he needed to look further afield to make his money. He now had seven staff at his promotion company and he bought himself a brand new Lotus for £31,000 with a personalised number plate. When asked, he replied in his usual cocky style, injuries, they're all behind me. This is going to be my lucky year. Due to the cuts in Speedway, his local team Halifax had shut, so Kenny turned out for another local team in Bradford. But it was a difficult season. Another high-profile bus stop with another rider, Mixed results, he was lacking form, and Kenny lost the England captaincy. There was a burglary at his home, and he was struggling to attract more clients to his promotions business. Life suddenly was becoming a struggle for 25-year-old Kenny. Even more serious were the issues that Kenny and Pam were suffering, so much so that Pam and their young children were staying with Pam's parents. The police had been called to Kenny's house after an argument in mid-May 1986 that had escalated so much that Pam had moved in with her parents. A few days later, Pam returned to the house with her cousin and the atmosphere between Kenny and Pam was frosty to say the least. Their cousin would later say, She was terrified. She said that Kenny was going to get her. Around the same time, a friend recalled a flight home from Italy with Kenny. When he spoke about all the riding and business issues he was suffering, but he didn't mention anything about any personal problems or issues with his marriage. He said how Kenny told him, Things aren't going my way at the moment, but I'm still going to make it. The friend commented that Kenny's problem was that he needed to sort out everything himself as he just didn't trust anybody else. On the afternoon of Wednesday, the 21st of May 1986, Pam's dad Bob and son Adam were at home in Bradshaw when neighbours told them they heard gunshots from Kenny and Pam's house just up the road. They raced to the house where they found their daughter Pam lying dead on the gravel outside the house. They called the police who broke in to find Kenny's lifeless body on the couple's bed. Both had died of gunshot wounds. It transpired that just the day before Pam had visited a solicitor to obtain an injunction to keep Kenny away from Pam and their children. She told the solicitor that she had made it very clear to Kenny that she wanted to leave him, but he had said he wouldn't let her. He continued that if she tried to, then he would kill her. It was also revealed that Kenny had been violent towards Pam before, with a friend saying, Before they married, she told me he had a violent temper, and in arguments he had a tendency to hit her. Kenny had stopped Pam attending karate lessons, which she loved. As all the other participants and the instructor were male, Kenny actually contacted the instructor himself, telling him that Pam wouldn't be going any longer. It was apparent that Kenny had issues with her coming into contact with other men without him being there. Kenny had even stopped Pam carrying at the soft drinks round she'd started just after the wedding and that she'd enjoyed so much. It seemed that the abuse had got so bad that Pam was not even able to leave the house without Kenny's permission. Another friend said he did become very possessive of her in the last few years. Pam could hardly ever get out of the house. On the day of the shooting, Pam had been out shopping when Kenny called at her parents' house to drop off the house keys as there were still a few bits and pieces that Pam needed to get for her and the children. Pam was so scared of seeing Kenny, her dad had even removed Kenny's shotgun from the house just in case. Kenny assured her dad that he would be out later when Pam popped over to get the stuff. And Kenny and his brother Alan would always visit his grandparents on a Wednesday evening, so it was perfectly natural for Kenny not to be at the house. Kenny was very close to them, and he'd confided in them about his marriage problems. He'd told them he'd accepted that he and Pam would split up soon. His grandma cleaned Kenny's house the night before the shooting, and in a note Kenny had written, Dear Gran, please tidy up everywhere, wash and dry, and make it look like a palace. Pam has left me again, gone with the kids to her mum and dad's for good. She's got a big problem, but everything I try and do doesn't help. It's like nobody's there. Well, I'm okay apart from a broken finger and badly bruised back. He then added, Don't let Pam or any of her family take anything. Lock the door behind you. On the day of the shootings, when Kenny hadn't turned up at his grandparents at the normal time, his grandma called to ask if he was still coming over and he said that he was. But whether he never had any intention of going or he later changed his mind... Kenny moved his car in the garage as he knew that Pam wouldn't come in the house if he was at home and he waited for Pam. Although Pam's dad had taken his guns, it appeared the shooting was premeditated. He'd asked a friend the day before to borrow a gun. He refused as Kenny didn't have a licence. But just hours before the shooting, Kenny borrowed a gun from another friend, telling him that he wanted it for pigeon shooting the next day and Kenny was a member of a local rifle club. It was this gun that was used to shoot Pam five times, three at point-blank range. After killing Pam, Kenny phoned her a close friend of his, who'd recently suffered the death of his own 18-year-old son. In a call that lasted under two minutes, the friend recalled the following. Kenny seemed very distressed. He told me he'd shot Pam and he was going to shoot himself. He then said, Be quiet. I want to tell you about the children. There's lots of money, get it? And make sure the children are taken care of. He said the kids are up the road and that he was going to shoot himself. You won't hear from me again. Look after the children. Goodbye. The friend tried to call back but there was no reply. After this call had ended, Kenning went up to his bedroom, reloaded the gun and sitting on the bed shot himself once in the left of his chest. Piercing his lung, the bullet going through his body. Kenny had left a suicide note addressed to the friend he had called just for his death It said, I want Ron and Margaret Oldham to look after the kids. All assets and money to go to them for life. I love Pam and I can't live separate. I'm going to kill myself now. Please bury us together. She did love me. I'm going to join my mum. Tell my brother I love him don't tell the kids what happened. There was a custody battle over the children and in the end Pam's family took custody of them. The formal inquest recorded that Pam had been unlawfully killed and that Kenny had killed himself. On Thursday the 29th of May 1986, despite understandable protestations from Pam's family, Kenny and Pam Carter were buried together in the same church where they'd married just five years earlier as Kenny had asked in the suicide note. The inscription on the headstone was a simple one. Pamela and Kenny Carter died together 21st of May 1986 to our mummy and daddy, Kelly Marie and Malcolm. Pam's brother Adrian Lund laid flowers which had the following poignant words. My brother-in-law Kenny, may God forgive you, Adrian. So what do you make of what we've heard today? If you Google Kenny Carter's name, you'll find lots of his fans still talking about him and about his speedway career. There's lots of mementos even you can buy. I imagine that like me, you find that pretty hard to accept. Of course, Kenny had some very hard times in his life and went through a lot. And it's easy to see why some will feel some sympathy for him. I've heard some say he died of a broken heart but I'm afraid we have to tell it exactly how it is. His talent on a motorbike is completely irrelevant. He was an abusive man who attacked his innocent wife many times and then took her life in a premeditated attack, fully aware that he was leaving his young children without either parent. I'm sorry, but King Kenny, to me, he absolutely isn't. He was just another violent inadequate abuser who does not deserve our sympathy. I wonder if you agree with me or think I'm being harsh. Our thoughts with Pam, her friends, family and of course her children. Once more, such a total waste of life for somebody who she had lived would only now be in her early 60s. But Kenny Carter didn't let her live. His selfishness meant that at all birthdays, Christmases and other celebrations, there is always an empty seat at the table where Pam should have been sitting. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspects of UK True Crime, please head to Facebook and join over 92,000 of us who talk UK True Crime 24-7. We really do. And to support the show, and why wouldn't you, please do head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime for bonus episodes and tons of exclusive content. A new full-length bonus episode will even drop this week. How good is that? And a huge thank you to the latest members of this community. That's Louis Hyder and Anna Lynch. Thank you so much for your support. To help keeping me produce a free weekly podcast is so much appreciated. So just for the price of a coffee, head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime to join our community. Okay, so that's all for me for another week. So until we speak again on Tuesday, please do take it easy. And remember, despite all the others, stay classy. Cheerio for now. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the godfather. Now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need.